Amen, church. Uh, it's good to be uh, with you in this way. It's good to get God's Word open uh, right now when we are in the Old Testament book, one of the prophets, the book of Jonah. It's going to be great to spend this time with you over the next uh, several weeks, four weeks. And uh, we're going to think about God's will right now, right now God's, um, God's known will uh, for us. And you've probably, if I, uh, I don't want to offend anybody by this, but you've probably already challenged God's will today, and it isn't even, you know, 10.30 a.m. yet. Uh, you've probably, uh, again, don't be offended by that, you've probably challenged God in big ways or maybe in small ways or in both kinds of ways, because that's really the, the standard operating procedure for human beings, even for prophets, even for pastors, this, this internal drive that we have that's fueled by our sin nature to challenge God's will. We are predisposed to it as human beings. And that relates to the book of Jonah because it's the account of a man who's a professional prophet. He's a vocational preacher. And he battled against God's will. And it's also, more importantly, so it's about Jonah challenging God, but it's more importantly about God's relentless mercy for us. And so as we study this book, we're going to see how God gives Jonah, this prophet, gives him a second chance, gives him a third chance, gives him a fourth chance. And it isn't hard to see how that's going to help us. Over these uh, four messages, these four weeks, we're going to gain a, a greater appreciation for our kind and, pa and, and patient and, and merciful Savior. And we're also going to hear a warning that we should not take advantage of His grace, because that could bear consequences. Now, here's what we're going after in message one, and if you have your notes there, you're going to see this already. If I insist on challenging God's known will for me, He will respond in order to get my attention. So let me read Jonah chapter one, first chapter here. Let me read this, and uh, then we'll get right into this. In fact, what we'll do is we'll do some notes about the book, about the series, and then we'll get into the first message. So this is Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? And what's your country? 
And of what people are you? And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, we'll get into that in just a moment. But before we get there, starting a series, want to kind of lay down some things that we need to know about this little book. First of all, it takes just seven minutes, seven, eight minutes to read the entire thing. It's just four chapters. It lays out on two pages of my Bible. So uh, it takes just a few minutes to read it. You should read it through this week and, um, and, and understand that it's a very simple story, but also is so profound and it can take a lifetime to really grasp everything that it says to us. It's, it's equally accessible to children. They can hear this story and just appreciate it for what it is, the power of God, the miracle He does, all of it. And uh, for adults, uh, for us to mine down and read the greater themes that are here that we're going to touch on in this series. The events, here's the second thing, the events occurred in the 700s BC, if you like the history part of this. At this point, Nineveh was not the capital of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrian Empire was not at the apex of its uh, historical power. Um, and, and in fact, at this point in time, when, when Jonah is eventually going to go there and preach to them, at this point of time, there's a lot of internal strife in, in um, Assyria, and there's a lot of uh, external pressure that's coming upon them, so they're not really expanding at this point, and at this point, they're not a threat to Israel at all. There are some things that were happening, though, that were going to make them particularly attentive to Jonah's message. Thirdly, at the same time, Jeroboam II is the, is the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and it's enjoying a, a peace and prosperity that hadn't been experienced in Israel since the time of Solomon. So that's going on in Israel. Uh, fourth, almost certainly it's written more than 200 years after the events that are described. So the events happened in the 700s BC. This is written um, late 500s, early 400s. Uh, BC, um, so obviously not written by Jonah himself, and evidence points to it being written post-exilic, so after not only the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom was also carried into exile in Babylon, and those exiles came back, Jonah's written after that fact. Fifthly, it's a prophetic narrative. In terms of the genre of literature, the kind of literature that it is, it's a prophetic narrative, has a little poetry in uh, chapter 2, it's a poetic narrative about Jonah himself. And so the 12 minor prophets at the, at the last section, it's the last section of the Old Testament, those 12 minor prophets, uh, Jonah's one of them. The other 11 are records of the prophecies that the prophets preached. 
Jonah is about the prophet himself, and so it's unique in that way, in that it's biographical. And it could fit nicely into 2 Kings chapter 14. And in fact, if you're thinking about how uh, the book of Kings talks about Elijah and Elisha and tells stories about those two prophets, Jonah could fit right into that and be one of those narratives in the midst of 2 Kings 14. Uh, Some commentators actually see it in terms of, again, the style of literature, see it as satire. And so if you're like into the Babylon Bee, for example, if you really like satire, Babylon Bee is like Christian satire. Um, If you really like that, Jonah's really satire because it's supposed to be about about a prophet who's faithful to God and preaching God's message. And really, it's not that at all. Uh, Jonah does not fulfill his mission in any real sense of that. And he doesn't come off as a hero of, of the faith Um, at all. So this is more of a, yeah, don't do this. Sixthly, it's often taught with a lot of allegorizing, and a lot of people teach this, a lot of preachers will teach this in different ways. It's taught with a lot of allegorizing, and not in the plain sense of asking how the original readers would have read this story, what the original author intended for it at the time. And those are critical questions in interpreting not just Jonah, but the entire Bible. What did the original author intend? What did the original readers read when they received this book? Some of the principal themes that we'll look at is the sovereignty and power of God, His concern and mercy for all people, not just His own people, not just Israel, but for all people. We're also going to hear about the urgency of the mission to preach to those who don't know Him yet, and the absolute necessity of repentance in our lives. That's seven. Here's an eighth one. It's filled with wordplay and little literary devices, and it's, it's a highly crafted piece of literature. And so much of that is so difficult to bring out in a short series like that. But understand, this is a highly crafted, sophisticated, classic masterpiece of literature. And then uh, just a ninth thing here. The book is, is, is not a fable. It's not a parable. It's not fiction meant to teach a lesson. It's a factual account that the author of First and Second Kings and Jesus himself authenticated and acknowledged by saying that Jonah is an actual historical figure. Okay, so that's the background to the book. That's going to set us up for the next uh, few weeks as we go through this. Let's look at the first part of the statement that's in your notes, also on the screen. When I challenge God's will... Several things are going to be true of me. First of all, this, when I challenge God's will, it's because I start it with hearing and understanding His Word. I hear and understand His Word. Now, this is a very unique opening in the entire Scriptures. No other Bible book that starts with, now the Word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's a common phrase in the Bible, but never to start a book. There's no ascription here. There's no title. There's nothing to set, set us uh, on the path to understanding this book. It's just like, boom, here's the Word of God and it came to Jonah. That's repeated, by the way, in the second half of the book in in chapter 3, verses 1. And it puts the entire focus of this story on what God says. This, This is God's Word. Okay, God's Word is this. We're preaching it right now. God's Word is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And so it's kind of like the Bible's all up in our grill right now. And if you would um, 
watch this message every week and come and join us for this time in God's Word, then this is, this is every week for you. The Bible is all up in my grill again. This is the Word of God. What am I going to do about it? We certainly can't be passive about it. And so for Jonah, it's a commission. He's getting a commission here. It's not unlike our commission, which is Matthew 28, 19, to make disciples of all nations. God says to him, verse 2 now, he says, arise, literally the word up, up, just get up. It's an imperative. There's urgency to it. There's a second imperative that comes next, go. So it's like up, go, two imperatives. Go to Nineveh, call out against it, condemn it, uh, preach against it. Why? For their evil has come up before me. Nineveh is notorious in history for their cruelty. And so this is the justice of God saying, uh, I've had enough, I'm going to bring it down on them. So there's no much understanding what God is saying for him to do. There's no, like, Jonah can't stand back and go, you know, I, I think this could be interpreted differently, you know. No, up and go, up and go. Preach to these people, I'm tired of their ways. That is super clear. And... um I saw this week this quote. I couldn't actually track down the original quote, but you know, the essence of it is that our problem is not that we misunderstand the Bible. You know, I, just, I don't know what that means. It's, our problem is not that we misunderstand the Bible and therefore don't apply it. It's that we understand it and we choose not to. And in fact, there's this quote um, that is often attributed to Mark Twain, but it's, it's not likely Mark Twain. Um, some people are troubled by the things in the Bible they can't understand what troubles me are the things I can understand. And that's exactly what's going on here. If we simply occupy ourselves with the parts of the Bible that we already understand, which is a lot, we could spend a lifetime applying just the things that we know right now. So there's no room for challenging God's will on the basis of, I don't understand. And understanding it, when I challenge his will, here's what that you know, looks like next. It, it's a refusal to obey. I refuse to obey the word of God. So God says to him, up and go, and Jonah gets up and he runs in the opposite direction. Verse 3, but Jonah rose, and we're thinking now, because there's a little tension here, but Jonah rose to obey God, to go and do the mission he'd been given? No, no to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. We're not immediately told why he does this. We're going to be told later in the book, but it's a little bit of of tension in the story right here. Jonah refuses the the mission, and his refusal plays out with this one-way ticket that he buys to go to this place called Tarshish, which is the furthest place he could think of. Archaeologists don't know exactly where Tarshish is today. But everyone agrees, all the historians agree, that it was in the far western reaches of the Mediterranean Sea. And he went in the opposite direction. Because Tarshish was a north and east of Israel. Now how often do we hear God say, do this, and we, we know exactly what he means, do this, and we do the exact opposite thing. How, how often do we hear God say, serve here, and we turn away, making an excuse? How often do we hear God say, give that, and I keep it for myself? 
How often does God say, talk to them about me, and I don't? I flee to Tarshish. I run in the opposite direction. And I find myself so often being no better than Jonah. And likely, I'm, I'm, I'm falling all the way down the rabbit hole here, and I have no conscience, see this next, I have no conscience about that choice to flee. Verse 5, the second part of it says, Jonah went down into the inner part of the ship, he laid down, he went to sleep. Meanwhile, this storm is coming against this boat. Now, people with a clear conscience, sleep well. You've heard that before. You know, I have a clear conscience. I can sleep well at night. But here's the thing. You know who else sleeps well? People with a seared conscience. People with a seared conscience. People who don't care sleep well. So verse six, the captain goes to him. The storm is raging. How can you sleep at a time like this? And he says, this is crazy. He says, up! God had just said to him, up and go to Nineveh. Now the captain is saying, get up, call to your God. Maybe your God is the one who can help us not die today. It's such a dangerous place to be. To not only challenge God's will, but to feel nothing concerning that choice. The seared conscience leads to a terrible path of rebellion and and ultimately a, a path that leads us to full rejection of all that aligns with Christ. It shows me denying the word, making excuses, putting myself at the center of everything. It's the only way that I can really get there. And so because of that, notice that I dig my heels in even as he pushes on me. I dig my heels in even as God begins to push on me. The sailors, verse 7, it says that they, they cast lots to determine why this evil had come upon them, and the lot fell on Jonah. That was a pretty common way of deciding things at the time. They would even carry around this bag with certain rocks in it, and people would throw them, and if certain colors came up, they knew that was the guy. Verse 8, they asked him, because the lot fell on Jonah, they asked him a bunch of questions. Uh, who are you? What do you do for a living? Where are you from? What's the deal here? So he tells them, verse 9, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. I made the sea and the dry land. He evidently even told them more than what's recorded here. We'll find out that in a moment. Now, here's the thing. So they've, they've thrown lots. They know it's Jonah. Sailors are superstitious. And, and, and as they traveled the world, they gained the knowledge of many different deities, and, and ancients, like people today, didn't necessarily believe that there was only one God. In fact, they were very syncretistic. They believed in, in many different gods, many regional gods. They believed in gods with differing functions. They believed even in personal gods. And so Jonah talking about his God would just fit in with this perspective that they had on religion. And obviously, from what is said next, Jordan again, Jordan, uh, Jonah again told them more than just what, what we have recorded here, because verse 10, it says, the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what have you done? Because now they knew 
Again, verse 10, that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because that's what he told them. And so the solution for these religious, superstitious sailors, ask Jonah, verse 11, what shall we do to you that the storm would quiet down? Now, as this is playing out, by the way, they're having this conversation, they're throwing lots, the whole thing, they're trying to figure it all out. And and God's making his presence and his power known because the storm's intensity is increasing all the while. The sea grew more and more, verse 11, tempestuous. God's making his presence and power known. So Jonah says, here's the solution, verse 12, toss me into the sea, and then the sea's going to quiet down, for I know that it's because of me. I know 100%. Trust me, I'm a professional prophet, he says. This has happened because of me. Now, I want to ask you the question, as you're reading this and you're hearing this preach, is that really the only option? Is there another option that could be considered here? Well, evidently, the captain and the sailors felt like there might be another option. And you can just see the captain at this point, he's going like, I'm not going to throw this guy overboard. So the captain says to the first mate, he says, could you just roll out the whiteboard here? They pull out the whiteboard. We're going to have a brainstorming session, everyone. He gets out the markers, and we're going to get some ideas. No idea is a bad idea. We're just going to write down some ideas here on what we could possibly do to help the storm um, relent here, and, and we could not die today. So let's whiteboard this. Uh, Let's see what we can do to get God to ease up on the storm and save the ship. So Jonah says, okay, well, I've already put the idea out there. So the captain goes over to the whiteboard and he writes it down. Jonah says, throw me into the water. The storm will will stop. Throw me overboard. I'm the problem here. The captain says, okay, crew, that's one idea. Any other ideas here? And Sailor One steps up. He's a smart guy. Sailor One steps up and he says, you know what, Captain? I think, uh, what if Jonah just repented? What if Jonah said to his God he was sorry that he was wrong, and then, and then we just turn the ship around, we take him back to Joppa, and he goes and does the thing that his God asked him to do? That's a great idea. Let me write that up on the, on the, on the whiteboard. Captain writes it down on the whiteboard. And Jonah says, yeah, no. Uh, let's go with A. Not doing B. Let's go with A. Throw me overboard. And the sailors are still like, no way, let's consider B. And so verse 13, they just all run back to the oars and they start rowing hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't. God intensifies the storm again. Verse 13 says the sea grew more and more violent against them. And so here's the fact of it. With these two ideas up on the whiteboard, here's the fact of it. Jonah would rather die than repent of his resistance his challenge to God's will. He'd rather die than do the mission that God had set out for him. Now that's resolve. I mean, I got to give Jonah that. That's resolve. It's not good resolve. It's not leading to a good place. I wish he'd apply that resolve to his mission. But he digs in his heels. He stubbornly refuses to consider anything other than death Why not? Why not, Jonah? Drop to your knees on the deck of this ship. Why not plead with your God to forgive you for what you've done? I mean, this was a guy who had a God speaks, I hear him relationship as a prophet. 
isn't hard at all to see how that applies to us. Don't dig your heels in with God. My suspicion is that there are many hearing me right now, and there's, there's something in your life right now where you're saying, nope, not that, God. You're not going there. Not that. Not doing it. Uh-uh. You've made excuses. You've rationalized it in your own mind. Maybe you've even decided that that's not what God's Word means. You've dismissed it. But it does mean that. and You know it, like Jonah. You know it. You're playing a very dangerous game with God. So that's the first part of it. Here's the second. God responds by, to my challenge. God responds to my challenge by allowing, notice here now, allowing me to challenge Him. He responds to my challenge by actually allowing that challenge to take place. You go back to verse 3. Notice Jonah went down to Joppa. God could have stopped him on the way to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. God could have poked a hole in the ship right there at the dock and had it sink right before his eyes. He paid the fare. He went down into it to escape the presence of the Lord. It's so intentional. He's so deliberate about every step of his rebellion. Every action, a deliberate challenge to God. And now God has given us freedom as human beings to choose and multiple times on, in every day, multiple times every day, we face the choice. Holiness or sin? Spirit or flesh? Christ in me or me in me? And God gives me room to make that choice. But God also, He's not going to leave us in that place. He wants better for us. And so God also allows circumstances that impede my plans. So God intervenes. This is what we've been talking about all the way along. He intervenes with this storm, verse 4, so that the ship, notice how this is personified here, the ship threatened to break up. This is the ship talking to the sailors. You know what? I'm going to break up. Okay, this storm is too much. Verse 5, and the sailors were afraid. And each, Why were they so afraid? These are mariners. These are sailors. They had done this a hundred times. They were, they were well accustomed with the sea. Why are, in this particular case, with this particular storm, are they so afraid? They're all crying out to their God. They're throwing the cargo overboard into the sea to lighten it. These, these grizzled mariners are so afraid and willing to toss over their livelihood to arrive at port without their cargo and face the consequences of that. That's no ordinary storm because God ordained this storm to be in Jonah's way. And I'm sure you've had things happen around you where you've, you've thought for a second, you've gone, that, that just, that's unusual. That thing that just happened, that's weird. I wonder if God's in that. I wonder if God's trying to say something through that circumstance. I mean, here's Jonah. He goes down to Joppa. He thinks that the ship and the sea and the wind that's going to fill the sails, he thinks that all three of those things are his ticket to freedom. 
And God used all three. He used the ship, he used the sea, and he used the wind to work against Jonah's purposes and for his own purposes. Now, I think it's always important to say here that not every trial and circumstance is the result of God's discipline in our lives. It's not always the God challenging something rebellious in our hearts. Some trials are just trials. Some difficulties are just difficulties. But some may, in fact, be God's discipline. Sometimes God allows circumstances and, and ordained circumstances to impede my plans. And there are many examples of this in the Scriptures where God brought circumstances and, and challenged people, disciplining them for sinful choices that they had made. In the Old Testament, we could think about Achan and Joshua 7 or uh, the, the Korah and his rebellion in Numbers chapter 16 or Hophni and Phinehas and, and Eli, the priest in the tabernacle in 1 Samuel 4. In the New Testament, we can think about Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5, or we can think about even the setup that Paul gives for the Lord's table and how he says, examine yourself before you come because there's some people who've been drinking and eating at the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And that's why he says, that's why some of you are sick. This is in 1 Corinthians 11. That's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. If you go to James chapter 5, a wonderful little passage there on praying for the sick where you call the elders and you anoint a person with oil. We practice that here. If you have an illness and you want to be anointed by the elders, but we're going to ask you a question. Is there any known unconfessed sin in your life? Because that's what James 5 asks for. And so that's the challenge that we face. Sometimes God Uh, allows circumstances to impede my plans, and God also allows people around me. Think about this now. God allows um, people around me to be affected by my choices. Now, in this case, it's these poor, unsuspecting, just trying to make a living sailors who pray to God, verse 14. Now, they're getting a sense of all of this, and they, they pray to God. They pray to the God, not their personal false God. O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And they did that, they prayed that before they finally accepted the reality that they needed to toss him overboard because he wasn't going to repent. So verse 15, they hurled him into the sea, which instantly, I mean, talk about getting someone's attention. The intensifying of the storm throughout the story is getting their attention, but then Notice here, as soon as they hurl them into the sea, it stops the storm, and it caused them to fear God instantly, because they know it's the Lord. The Lord exceedingly, okay, they feared the Lord exceedingly, verse 16. Now it's a reverential awe of God, and what do you get done? And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And there's obviously some negative and positive effects of this. The sailors were in a, a ter- terribly desperate state, and then God Uh, brings them to this place where they're expressing some sort of faith towards him. Now, I'm sure you're already aware of how your challenges to God's will affects the people around you. I'm sure you're already aware of how your sin impacts people you know and love. I'm sure parents know how their failures may have driven their kids far away from the Lord. I'm sure that some realize that their marriages fell apart for these very reasons or are challenged today for these reasons. I'm sure you know how friendships have been severed 
how unbelievers have been driven further from Christ. These are hard things to hear, but this is the message we must hear. There's no denying that our challenge of God's will has a ripple effect. But listen, here's the hopeful part of it. So does our holiness. So does our love for Christ have this ripple effect that goes out to influence others for the Lord. And the reality is there's no neutral position that we can occupy. It's one or the other. Now the good news is this. There's a way out. God provides a way out despite my continued stubbornness. Jonah thinks he's, he's, he's going to drown, he's going to die, that's going to be it, it's going to be over. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, the book is not allegory, but for sure there is a foreshadowing here of something that's yet to come. It's, it's imagery. You can't read this and not see uh, Jesus talking about his own burial. In fact, Jesus speaks of Jonah when he compares this very moment in the Jonah story to what would be coming with his burial in the tomb. And let's look at Matthew uh, chapter 12. This is um, Jesus speaking. He says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, I mean, that's coming right here from Jonah chapter 1, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, and then he says a little bit later in the passage, something greater than Jonah's here, and he's speaking about himself, the Savior of the world. God provides a way out. God shows us his relentless mercy. God is telling us, I'm the God of second chances. There's a way out of sin and, and, and a way out of the consequence of sin and our sin nature, which is death and the second death. The crucifixion and burial of, and resurrection of Jesus Christ provides that way for us. It's the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it was no less true for Jonah, who was a Yahweh worshiper, a worshiper of the Lord God, who would have personally held on to the hope of a coming Messiah. No less would Jonah have been saved by faith alone. And his way out was God's promise of a resurrection life. And in sending the great fish and having him stay there for those three days and nights, he was offering Jonah his mercy. The sea would not take him. God would hold him instead. You see, like, that mercy is being offered to you right now. If you're still drawing breath, if you're still alive and hearing my voice, there's still a chance for you. No matter what your situation is, no matter how much you've challenged His will, even if you've been just as stubborn, just as rebellious, challenged God's will as much as Jonah did, or more, if you're still alive, if you're still drawing breath, if you can still hear what I'm saying, there's mercy for you. You need only call out to Jesus with simple faith. Let me pray for us. Father, help us uh, now having heard this word. It's, it's, it's both a hard word 
But God's such a gentle, merciful word to us, a hopeful one. And so God, help us to see that in every situation in which we challenge you, God, we must repent. By your Spirit, convict us. Show us that. Give us courage. Give us faith to believe you for these things, to to agree with you about these things, and to turn away from the sin that's in our lives. And not turn away from you, but toward you. God, thank you. On behalf of all who are listening right now, thank you for your relentless mercy toward us. And I pray this in our Savior's name. Amen.